There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over games on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings that work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the We Are Staying Up of the podcast, and today I'm joined by the Say We Are Staying Up of the podcast, Josh Hobbs. And finally, the We Are Staying Up of the podcast, it's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, apart from I've had basically no sleep. I just just couldn't (laughs) sleep at all last night. Um, I'm sure that's quite... Been quite a common thing for a few people last night, um, and I'm happy that one was staying up, and two leads can't do any any emotional damage to me for 75 days. So, <laughs> what a time to be alive! They cannot hurt you anymore, Tom. No, I I ignore transfer windows, so like they could sign loads of rubbish players, and I just wouldn't give a shit until the start <laughs> of next season. Yeah, as soon as the final whistle went yesterday, I developed an immediate sore throat and a headache, and I felt ill. Uh, and yeah, I've I'm still feeling a little bit tender this morning. So yeah, it's been a it's a, it's been a real psychosomatic experience for us all. But Josh, I'm sure you were super calm and uh, weren't worried about anything, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I made my kids cry. Because uh, they came, they came home whilst it was sort of half an hour or so to go. So I was sort of yelling at the TV, and they they wanted to watch Leeds with Daddy, but also they didn't uh, they did not like <laughs> the shouting and screaming. So I lost it when Canos scored, and then obviously that they experienced the winning goal, and that's when I made them cry when I screamed my head off. Um, but yeah, what a relief that it's all over. Yeah, and what a relief we are in the Premier League next season because it was uh, touch and go for a little bit there, wasn't it, Josh? I mean, yeah, I mean, quite a lot, <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot. I think, yeah, um, I I had had been saying for the last um, week or so, like we we we've got a chance, like even though um, even though it obviously it was going into today without it in our hat uh, today yesterday um without it in our hands i always felt that newcastle would win at at burnley and it was a case of would we be able to take anything uh, from brentford and funnily enough when i think back at over the last sort of few months when we were sort of talking about what uh what points totals we needed to get and and so on to stay up i was always sort of saying i think I think we can, like, we can or we need to get four points from those final two games. And that, I think, will be enough. But you sort of forget about all that once Burnley made it so close. Um, I sort of forgot all that sort of right, that if we get those four points, that will take us up to 38 and we'll be fine. But there we go. Tom, just... Thank goodness that pig of a season is over and we don't need to think about it until a couple of weeks' times when we do our uh, review episode of the season, but horrible season. Yeah, you can just sort of put that in the history books, don't have to think about it again. It's kind of like, it's kind of ended the Bielsa era for me now, like I think that's kind of, it. it and it's like we've stayed up, so it's like rounded that off quite nicely and we we can sort of look forward to whatever the Jesse Marsh era or whoever it is in the in the future. Um, but yeah, like you say, in a couple of weeks' time, because I need a rest after that absolute pig of a season, like you say. Mm. Well, 
Unfortunately, we do have to talk about the the game on this podcast, so um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from the height, heights of, uh, of of winning to maybe talking about some of the stuff that was going on on the pitch. Um, but let's kick off with a game summary. Yeah, we're obviously talking about a 2-1 win against Brentford at whatever it is their new stadium is called. I have no idea. Close game, the XG per stats bomb, which has only just gone up, was I think Leeds 1.4 XG to Brentford's 1.2. Weirdly, we seem to have ended up at a Bielsa 4-1-4-1 somehow in recent weeks, although we did have a long conversation uh, on the group chat beforehand, um, just having a discussion about how similar to the Bielsa 4-1-4-1 this was, but the discrepancies were in the midfield, so I'll talk about that once I've run through the lineup. But for this game, Robin Cock was played at right back and joined Diego Llorente and Liam Cooper in the back line with Junior Furpo at left back. And then we had obviously Phillips in one of the pivot roles uh, and then either Sam Greenwood was playing in a pivot role alongside him or Rodrigo and Sam Greenwood were playing as uh, eights. The confusion comes from the fact that Jesse Marsh late in the game wanted to move to a uh, 4-2-3-1 and made it very obvious on the TV screen that that's what he wanted. And um, Actually, if you watch most of the game, it looks as though they were already in a 4-2-3-1, so take that with a pinch of salt. But then, obviously, we had Gelhart as a, as a striker and then Rafinha and Harrison flanked him. Um, the game, I thought, started brightly enough. Leeds looked to get the ball forward. There was a lot of yeeting and, and head tennis, but uh, it worked out quite well and we were able to counter-press and, and, and get some sort of upside. I thought in the first 30 minutes, Brentford gave us a little bit of space and time at the back and that worked quite well, uh, especially when actually when we were um, put under a little pressure in, in our back line, we, we lost the ball and gave away some pretty scary stuff. But I think from then on, they maybe pushed a little bit more aggressively, at least in their build-up and were able to, to fashion some fairly dangerous scenarios in transition. Um, however, as in previous games, they weren't able to convert these scenarios into chances. And I said in the preview that I thought they would and they didn't. So I was wrong. In the second half, the general trend continued until David Raya sliced a clearance and Rafinha pounced on the ball and was able to win a penalty from the despairing goalkeeper trying to make amends. And from this point on, actually, it felt as though Leeds became a little bit more tetchy. I guess there was things going on in the other game that made things a little bit more nervous. But things did take a fortunate turn when Christopher Ayer got injured uh, and Brentford had made all of their subs, so they were down to 10 men. But it was weirdly Brentford who looked more dangerous and eventually they got an equaliser through Sergi Canos. Um, Sergi Canos took off his shirt in celebration and then took it off again a few minutes later when he was sent off for a, a second yellow card, siving down Rafinha. Um, and so at that point, Leeds had a two-man advantage and we switched to a back five and looked even more tetchy. And I guess by this point, we, we were pretty certain that a draw would have been enough. Obviously, the news came in that, that the Burnley game had ended. So as long as we drew, we were staying in the Premier League. But actually, even better, the ball fell to the, at the edge of the box to Jack Harrison, who hit a deflected shot. Low pass Raya to take all three points. Uh, it wasn't necessarily pretty all the time, but it was enough to keep Leeds in the Premier League. So that's the game summary. Let's go to the interrogation. So this is the interrogation. This is the part of the show where I ask five questions to the guys and we try and get to the bottom of what was going on on the pitch. Uh, so Josh, I, I mentioned there that it wasn't particularly pretty on the field, but what did you make of that? I think it was prettier than I thought it would be, if I'm actually being honest. Um, there were definitely signs of dreadful nerves at times. <laughs> Look at literally like 40 seconds into the game, the way that Yorente gave the ball away and like when that happened I was like oh <laughs> we're gonna go down in a clown car situation here um but actually I felt like we I felt like we did all right um like you said it did get really tetchy but I do think that I do think that was just sort of knowing like oh my word we've actually got this in our hands we can't let this slip um, coupled with the fact that we know we already know that we haven't been a good team for quite a while, um, but I thought there were some um, some patches of some nice stuff that we played. It was a really nice little move for the chance that Greenwood had, where he shot over the bar. Um, maybe it was a little bit Bielsery in a sort of wide triangle. That um, the uh, offside Gelhart goal was a nice move as well. Um, Rodrigo taking the ball, turning, playing it into uh, Harrison. Um, and yeah, I thought the the goal was, uh, the penalty was interesting because that was one of the sort of few occasions where we'd sort of managed to press high effectively in um, since Marsh has, has come in. Like, obviously, it's an error 
from Raya, but he's he's being put under pressure from um, Gail Hart pressing him, I think. And then uh, we've got Rafinha, like, in a good position where he can cut off several passing lanes and, and he, he gets there and, and capitalises. So I, I think, like, it was as nervy and horrific as you would expect a final day survival battle to be. Um, but I, I think there were some things to be positive about in terms of the way that we played. And for me, I, I also want to say, yeah, I know there's going to be a question about Greenwood in a bit, so I don't want to say too much. But um, I felt that I felt that he played uh, very well and I was quite critical of the decision of him being playing because I just thought Marsh was going more attackers equals better attacking. But I'm the one that probably felt that he looked a bit more double pivoty. Um, so yeah, I mean, not not pretty, but prettier than expected is my summary. Yeah, and Tom, almost everything went our way on the day, really, didn't it? I guess there was only the moment where um, where Burnley get a goal back and uh, we concede a goal down to ten men. But apart from that, it, it just sort of felt as though everything eased nicely for us. So um, yeah, there was the, the the Burnley result eventually, but there was the Ryan mistake, the Ayer injury, the red card, uh, the late win- winner. Do you think that that took a little bit of an edge off it for us in the fact that we were never in a position where we had to really get back into a game? Yeah, you never, you, you don't know how much the players knew about what was going on at, at Burnley, um, but they, they'd have probably got a sense on the fans if we needed to score late, um, because we seemed in that sort of last five minutes, we seemed quite calm about sort of just playing the ball around uh, because I personally I, I felt quite stressed that, that the idea of Burnley equalising late and um, f- felt like we needed a goal and they just the players seemed quite calm about that. So yeah, it would have been well interesting not on a neutral sense um, if we had needed to get a goal late and seeing what it was like because it just it didn't feel like we were really pushing for that. We were just looking for those chances if we needed them. Um, like you say, yeah, everything that yesterday kind of went our way. Um, there was also like Burn. I, I watched match of the day last night, and it was like Burnley had the chance from Weghorst, which was ju- just very just didn't go in. Um, so it's just stuff like that, and with every sort of like little fifty-fifty kind of went in our favour. Even something as stupid as Canos taking his shirt off after scoring <laughs> and then get like tackling someone stupidly a couple of minutes later, like that. That's it. All felt, and I don't, I don't really like saying stuff like this, but it all felt very unleads, didn't it? That it all went our way. Like it just felt like something was going to bat us in the ass. At the end, and it didn't. Um, which is, I suppose that, that people would say that that's the kind of the variance you get with a one-off result, though. It was only the VAR decision against us that kind of. I mean, obviously it was offside, but um, that felt like the only thing that actually didn't really go like go for us in the end. And I think that probably helped insofar as like. I don't know, like you said, it was it was tetchy enough with things going our way. If things had, had gone badly, then, yeah, I can't see us having necessarily come through that. But great that, great that it did, obviously. Um, Tom, we've talked a lot already about how this felt a little bit late Bielsa-ball to an extent. So um, we, we've argued about the formation, but there was quite a bit of wide build-up. Josh has said that Greenwood chance came from a very Bielsa move, sort of a, a, a third-man run in the wide area. Um, uh, and then we were hitting channels. We were trying to create through counter-pressure, pressure, which was a bit more late Bielsa than early Bielsa. But would you would you agree that it, it seemed kind of Bielsa-ball-y? Um, I would agree with that, yeah. I think the, the only thing that I didn't think was... Very Bell's ball. It was the the fullback still. Um, I think we still kind of sat them a bit. There was a lot. There was quite a few times where Harrison sort of was in a position. And he was look, he was kind of look waiting for the run from Furpo down the side, and it just never came. Um, and that's we we did end up losing the ball a lot in those situations. Um, but yeah, the, the shape yeah four one four one was definitely the shape that I saw. Um, get Rafinha in those areas that he's comfortable in. Um, so yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And yeah, the the counter pressure was. Still very much more just just run at your man, but that, that's kind of more with your counter pressing rather than the pressing wasn't very like Bielsa at all. But you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that in sort of that sort of situation, would you? Uh, no, and I guess the the difference between zonal and man marking does does change the the general dynamic yeah. on that as well. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts on this? I would say the fullbacks were like a little bit more advanced than that. Like if you think in the first half we didn't I noticed we didn't do this as much in the second half um but we were pinging it out to the right loads in the first half uh, and that was either go, targeting Rafinha or targeting uh, Robin Koch um 
And I think what I was going to say about formation is I wonder if when Jesse Marsh was making the big big thing of saying 4-2-3-1, I wonder if second half we'd started 4-2-2-2 because Rafinha was quite a bit more central um, rather than where he had been like really attacking down the right in the first half. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I just felt that that was a little bit different. Um, and uh, yeah, Furpo didn't particularly like attack loads until like there was that late one where he overlapped and played a low cross. Um, and then late in the game, obviously, he sort of became a, a wing back um, because Strauch was was left of a three. Yeah, I should mention as well that just saying that it felt Bielsa ball isn't to say that it whenever it's good it feels Bielsa ball and whenever it's not we say it's it's marshy. But there were there were definite th- things there that I, I thought um, suggest that. The general process has been the players that we have are going to suit this style of play a little bit more, so we'll try and do that. Um, interesting hearing you mentioning Robin Cock there because I felt like Cock was the out ball a lot of the time. So especially from Melier, he was just shelling the ball to Cock a lot, and they were trying to sort of head the ball along the line uh, a, a little bit, which was was a little bit different. But I do I do agree with with Tom as well on the fullbacks. In that I feel as though the fullbacks are expected to push up in pressing situations. So when the opposition have the ball and they work it wide, the idea is that the fullback pushes right up onto the wide player who's dropping, uh, and which is why it often leaves space in, in that um, fullback channel on the on the ball near side as well. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean to say in, in possession that we're really trying to get the, the fullbacks forward. So um, let's move on to the next question. So Josh... I've already mentioned that Brentford allowed us a lot of space in the back in build-up, um, particularly in the first half. I wonder how you thought that benefited us. Yeah, well, definitely because it, they didn't take, <laughs> they weren't weren't pressing high enough to really take advantage of the errors that that we made uh, in that first half. I don't think we made the same ones in the second half, um, really. But if you think of obviously the Urente one, he had that Cooper one where he overran it and I thought he was going to get a red card because it was that sort of classic overstretching um, situation. But yeah, we we managed to um, get the ball into midfield easier without having to sort of just bang it up and then then try and win second balls. Um, There were a few times where I felt like we were trying to pass it into midfield and the positioning of um, Phillips and, and Greenwood wasn't particularly great. So I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Llorente getting quite annoyed. It was like, I've not got a pass here. Um, and it wasn't particularly because of great Brentford pressure or, or cutting off all the options. I just felt like we were quite static. Um, but still, I think if Brentford had pressed, they really could have... Um, could have caused us way more problems that, than they did there because we've seen, you know, what happens when Arsenal do that to us. Yeah, it's a real experience watching Ivan Tony pressing forward for them because we are so used to having strikers who have to do a huge amount of work off the ball and he very much is a striker who doesn't do that. But um, yeah, Tom, why do you think that, that Brentford came out that way? Because I, I was convinced that they would have seen that we'd been caused pressure in the last few games by teams who pressed high and and I I, I just assumed that that Brentford would be on that like like a like a rash so any thoughts on why Brentford were were a little bit muted in their high press I'm struggling with that to, to be honest the only two things reasons I think is like it's just last game of the season and they almost don't feel like they need to or they can't they knew that we had to, to come on to them a bit um because we needed a we potentially needed a win from that game um, to stay up, so then they were just they could just w- win the ball back off us and then hit us on the counter attack, and we did we did actually see that quite a few times where they had chances just to break on us and they didn't quite quite get the final final pass right. It was a lot of similar situations to Brighton where we seem to have just kind of rode our luck and got away with it in these last two games. Because um, say like like you say, them them sitting off us was they definitely allowed us to sort of get the the sort of passing. Uh, the stuff that we Bielsa ball sort of stuff going um, allowed us to build up and play better make, makes um, chance in the wide areas um, anyway, yeah it would, say like this had happened sort of four games ago you'd, you'd think maybe they wouldn't have done that and it could have actually been a completely different result but it definitely helped us yesterday let's move on to question four so there was obviously a lot of plaudits for Sam Greenwood yesterday so Josh what did you make of his performance yesterday I thought he was really impressive to be honest um like I said before, I thought it was a bit of a case of 
more attackers equals better attacking. I thought that was the thought process, which I disagreed with. And I remember uh, Marsh saying at the end of the Brighton game that he felt like bring. He specifically said, "I brought on Greenwood to play as a six, and I help. I felt that uh, helped us like get control and attack at the end, which I thought." Not sure that I'd agreed with, although he obviously did play a part in in the goal um, with a little bit of play with Harrison. Um, I'm not going to say he was perfect because I saw quite a few... There were some people replying to me when I tweeted saying it was a good performance from him, being like, oh, he gave the ball away and so on. I'm like, did you see all of our players <laughs> giving the ball away? Um, but um, I thought he worked really hard off the ball and he's proved himself to be... Um, more physically able to play in the Premier League than I perhaps thought. Um, there was one really good recovery that he made when they looked like they were about to break through and he got back and won it, um, I think maybe off Tony, which is that's not a that's not a small feat for a young man like Greenwood. Um, I sound a bit like Jesse Marsh there with the young man, but um, <laughs> with a young guy like Greenwood uh, to go and win that back off a... A, a properly big guy in Tony um and yeah with with the ball I think he he um was positive in what he did there was a really nice pass that he played uh to break a line and get it down the line I think it went to to Koch but um a nice bit of play there um broke into the box had a decent chance um obviously there were a couple of times where he passed forwards and, and lost it but I never thought he would be able to play in midfield in the Premier League, uh, I thought he would potentially work uh, as one of the like narrow wingers uh, in in Marsh's system. But Marsh seems to like him a lot in in any midfield or attacking position. I think he's gained his trust, and I believe that to be because I think he's a really like tactically intelligent player. Like he takes instructions well, um, and he's a nice technician. I think he's still got a long way to go, but I think for most of us watching the under-23s, you could see that Greenwood was one of the best players, but there was also this question of, even though he's one of the best players, can he step up to the Premier League? I didn't necessarily think they could, um, but I'm really happy to be wrong about that so far, and I hope he continues uh, the trajectory. Yeah, Tom, what do you think that trajectory is going to be? Yeah, it's it's difficult to say. Um, I I haven't watched as much of the under twenty threes as the rest of you. Um, but Gr- Greenwood, he's he's never really looked at a place. I think in the time, well, since Marsh has come in, he's kind of done a few sub appearances and obviously started yesterday. And he's kind of, he, I think he'll be fine as like a, a squad player, say next year coming in if necessary. Um, my, my my hunch is kind of like that. His level is probably about either a top championship player or lower the Premier League, and I might be harsh being harsh there you can correct me on that uh, but yeah I wouldn't have any issues with him being around the squad next year and coming in if, if necessary yeah how about you Josh have you any thoughts on like where the, where the future should go for him I thought before that he should get loaned out now I think under Marsh I think he will stay and be a sort of rotation sub player so I think he will get a, a wor- like a worthwhile amount of minutes to stay around but he shouldn't be a player that we're relying on. Like we need to move forwards with much better quality. But he can be a player that just adds a little bit of depth. And Marsh obviously seems to like him. And presuming that he's the manager, I think he'll be staying. Right. Question five. Just looking forward to the to the next season, I suppose. But um, we had a question from friend of the podcast, Seb Wassel, who said uh, Jesse Marsh said that he's been so focused on keeping us in the league that there is a lot of work to do in the summer for us to become more and more what he wants us to be. Uh, Seb asks, to what extent do you think the team can or will change this summer, evolution or revolution? Um, and and so I suppose my question is, how different do you think this performance will look to the first performance of next season? I hope that it will look quite different um because i i don't feel that at any point we've really played um how marsh wants us to play i understand some people would rather not even see that in the first place but i do think that it can be a lot more effective than it has been um and marsh has obviously said himself like and he said yesterday after the game like i know the football 
hasn't been great. <laughs> and I think that's important that he does acknowledge that it's not him like saying, you know, hey, you know, I said I'd keep us up and look, I've done it. Like he's like, hey, like we've scraped it. And I know that that's not we haven't played the way that we want to play. I think that's important. Um, I think the window will hopefully see us bring in some players so that we can play the four two 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 a lot better than we had. Because I know a lot of people just hate that formation on principle because of the narrowness. Um, but I do think in the counter pressing style, I think it's at, it is the best formation to use that or the diamond uh, midfield because it allows you to uh, get the most players around the ball and um, and sort of collapse on the ball the way that shape is set up. I don't think the 4-2-3-1 is kind of able to do that quite in the same way. Um, but yeah, we need the better profiles uh, to do that. So we were never going to do that well with players that want to play wide naturally. Um, so it needs to be players like Aronson or I'm going to bang the gong for Noah Lang again because I think he would fit that well. But the good thing is if we were to get those two players, um, if it doesn't work with Marsh or we need or Marsh decides actually we need a bit more width, those players are capable of playing wide as well as central. So it's important to sign players that can fit it but also have some versatility so that if we need to change it up, we still can, or if the manager gets changed and they want to play with more width, those players can. Um, so, yeah, I expect it and hope that it will look different. If it doesn't, <clears throat> then um, I don't think Marsh will be long for the job. Let's go to you, Tom, on this. I'm I'm sort of with, with Hobbsy on this insofar as I don't mind necessarily the, the Red Bull style per se. Um, so the idea of being a direct team that, that wins the ball in counter pressure when attacks break down and tries to generate chances from there. I don't hugely enjoy it, but I think it's a legitimate style of play. And I think that if we can get playing that way, I think it will be a good thing. Um, I suppose for me, the, the questions are whether or not we will be able to play that kind of functional way within uh, a, a pre-season. Uh, the ability of Jesse Marsh to instill that style and... Um, also, I suppose questions about whether or not that style will work in the Premier League, given what we've seen from maybe someone like Ralph Hasenhutl or Ralph Rangnick. Um, so, Tom, what's your what's your general take on that? My kind of worry with committing to this style over the summer was more in the Championship because I, I thought in the Championship teams would just sit deep against us because whilst whilst we're not our squad's probably not as good as someone like Fulham or probably Bournemouth, who where we can sort of. We're just so much better than everyone else in the league, or, or a lot of the teams in the league. Um, it, it probably wouldn't have given us a chance to do those sort of direct, direct play, um, and then win the ball back. Cause the teams would just be like, "Well, we're just going to sit off you, so you're going to have to sort of do some sort of build up." Um, I think in the Premier League, you could, you might see it be similar to how similar to sort of the Bielsa ball, as in that we'll beat the teams around us or do well against the teams around us, and we might still get completely killed by the top teams because. If we, yes, being direct against the top team is, is fine, but they're just so technically better um, ability to hold retain possession that they'll just play around our pet press and then with the space that we'll, if we do play the Red Bull way, leaving wide areas, teams like City and Liverpool will just expose that really easily. So I, I do feel better about it in the Premier League if we can get it working in the pre-season. We, we talked about this quite a lot after the Bright, Brighton game that we well, I some some of you do have doubts about Marsh's ability to do that, but I'm quite prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt once he's had a block of time to do this and some more players such as like Aronson who's going to come in this week, um, which better suit his play rather than some of the the more players in our squad that are more inclined to play wide. Yeah, and I suppose the general theme of this morning is let next season worry about itself. So we'll we'll no doubt cover some of this in the summer as well, especially as as players are coming through. One thing about um, kind of Seb's question about I've seen quite a few people say um, that they think that maybe Marsh might sort of keep some of the width next year after see the way we've done it in recent weeks um, because Liverpool do that wide play and still do the counter press and you actually you did a really good video on this John uh, talk about the differences between the way that Liverpool do it and the Red Bull teams do it um, and I just I personally can't see us doing that. Because it would just it would mean one we need to sort of retain possession and build up possession more, and 
the way that Liverpool do it is they are they are trying to counter press to slow down opposition attacks, whereas we're Red Bull teams counter press to win the ball back and create opportunities. So I can't see him moving towards that as a long term solution. I just think it's kind of to get us through these last few games. Yeah, I was just going to say I think I I will be taking a, a keen interest in in pre season. I I um had a lot of replies to me last summer um where I was fretting about how the team looked in, in pre-season in the games lots of people being like it doesn't matter pre-season doesn't matter and yes it's true results don't matter in pre-season but my big issue with Leeds last pre-season was we looked absolutely awful you could see all the big issues that have come to pass in the season itself um so I will be taking an interest in do we look a lot more like how Marsh wants us to look if we don't then that will that will be concerning because he will have had the training time that he hasn't really had um so yeah not to make a big deal about that but just maybe people might take that a bit more seriously this time around hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's move on and get to the bring a topic section. So this is the section where you guys bring something to the conversation. So we'll kick off with Josh. What did you want to talk about? Yeah, I just wanted to touch uh, on, on Joffy's performance, which... I thought um, was one of his best games in terms of back-to-goal play. I thought he used his body well. I thought he fought off Janssen and and Ayer a few times, scored a banger with his weak foot, and I'm counting it because VAR (laughs) is shit. Um, (laughs) I know that it obviously was ruled out, um, but he didn't know that at the time. Uh, He he finished it really well, and I think it shows again that he's, he's a player for big moments. That he can uh, he can pull something out of the bag when when the team needs it. He's a young player and he's constantly delivering. I just wondered what you guys made of that performance from him. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely agree. That it's probably his best performance playing that more yeah back to goal striker. Um, there was a couple of moments as well where he managed to sort of get the ball turn and run at Brentford a bit, and I just I just always love it when he does that. Um, I just always think it kind of makes them. The opposition panic, um, and especially if we, could, if we could get him doing that in a sort of more of Red Bull sense, like trying with the opposition players running the other way, I think that could be quite effective next year. Uh, and like I say, his, his finishing is potentially might be the, one of the best, best, the best finisher in the squad. Um, so yeah, I think he did well. Um, it's just I, I don't think that would be where I want him long term. I don't, I don't really know where I'd want him in in a foot like a four two two two. Um, but yeah, he he did well yesterday, and he always he always seems to do well against physical centre backs and manages to get get onto headers and stuff. So it, it always amazes me that for someone who's so small and it's not his game, he does he does so well in those situations. What do we think that Joffy's situation is going to be going into the next season? Uh, assuming maybe that we buy another striker and Pat's back fit, do we think that that will affect his game time? And do you think that might? force him to want to go out on loan or do you think that he's had enough game time in the end of this season to to sort of justify being around got to be playing like I'm not saying he's going to start every game but I think he's he should be starting a number of games and he should be uh he should be one of the go-to subs I think like he's shown that he's got quality at the level um and yeah like I agree we need to improve the team (laughs) So that he's not, we're not sort of like, oh shit, like we've got no options. We're literally going to have to start a, 
uh, a striker who's got like less than five starts in the Premier League. Um, but I think he's proven he can play when he when uh, he can start when we need him to, and he will deserve to start some games as well. Um, yeah, it's no question for me that he has to he has to stay around and he has to be used. Following on from what Tom was saying, it's just hard to know where to fit him in our system, right? Because I, I think you have to play him almost as a second striker, right? So you have to pretty much fit him in a in a four triple two in some way, right? I think yesterday proved that he can do that job. Like he's never going to be Bamford, um, but he proved he can do a job in that role. It will look a bit different, but it's a hell of a lot better than Dan James there and better than Rodrigo there. Um, but I think. Um, actually, when I think of him in the four triple two, I can kind of see him playing on the right of the two behind the striker, as well as I can see him playing as one of the strikers. Yeah, and it's always been our supposition, Josh, that he would look quite nice in a front three as a wide forward, right? Yeah, because he because he can drive inside uh, from the right. Um, it gets him running with the ball a lot, which is his best attribute. Um, I think there's several ways to fit to fit him in. Um, probably like covering Bamford is one of the last ways you want to you want to use him, but it doesn't mean that he can never do it. Yeah, and I guess we've also talked about him being quite a good player to bring on as a sub for like 20 minutes at the end of games as well, um, because I feel as though even if you're worried about structural fit you know that you can bring him on with 20 minutes to go and he can just produce those moments uh, against tired defences. So um, he's, I, I definitely agree we should we should keep him around. Um, and, I, and I think that that's a really legit way to use him as well. Right, Tom, what did you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about Calvin Phillips because I actually was quite annoyed at him a lot yesterday. I think he was he took the Yorkshire Perlow thing a bit too literally and was just trying all these balls, uh, crossfield balls. Or just I felt like he'd lost the ball a lot. Um, I should probably check on FB Ref actually to see if that what the case is with that. Um, but he also did quite a lot of good defensive work, um, maybe sometimes cleaning up his own mess. But um, yeah, I just wonder what you guys were thinking or whether me being annoyed at him a bit yesterday, was he kind of deserved that or not? Or he, if he had a good game? I thought that he was... Really, really, really good in terms of getting us the ball back often. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I thought he was clearly being used to spread it wide to the right on the in the first half. I thought that seemed to basically be our ba- our game plan: get it to Calvin and then get it to um, to Rafinha as quickly as we can. That seemed to be um, what we were doing. Whether that was Marsh doing that or whether that was just what he was deciding to do himself I I don't fully know but it seemed to be like that was a repeatable thing happening over and over again Um, there was a time in the first half where I was going mental where he held the ball for absolutely ages and seemed to like it was one of those moments where I think he held it way longer than people felt Rodrigo held the ball <laughs> uh, in the game before when they when Brighton then broke and scored. Um, obviously, he didn't have a pass on quite wet, quite in the same way that Rodrigo had Harrison on. But I still thought that like that's something that I wondered whether Calvin would be criticised in the same way if if uh, Brentford went on and scored. But I I didn't feel massively frustrated with him on the ball other than that moment. Um, I thought he kind of played in the way I expect him to play with the ball, to to be quite honest. Yeah, I have just checked the stats. He actually he did what completed 59 of 71 passes and 13 of 19 uh, long passes. So it might have just been that I was so nervous about Brentford breaking on us that I kind of panicked every time we lost the ball. He actually had the most progressive passes in the squad as well. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe on a watch back, I'd probably have a look at that in a bit more detail and just see what the case was that and maybe my sort of stress about that was a bit unfounded. It reminded me a little bit of that game against Everton last season where he was just given absolutely acres of space in the middle to to just play the ball around. I don't mind... I, I don't particularly want us to be a team that just sort of shells the ball into channels all the time, but I don't mind him doing that. And he, like you say, Josh, he was clearly told that he had to do that. My frustrations with Phillips always come from his his 
in possession stuff. Um, I just don't think he's he's good enough at, at controlling the ball under pressure. Um, so um, yeah, uh, yesterday there wasn't a huge amount of pressure, and there's still a few examples where he he just isn't able to protect the ball well enough. And um, I also think that he he's just way too quick to play the ball back rather than than turning. And I get a little bit f- frustrated at him scanning for the ball as well. He just is very very lax scanner as well. But these are these are things that we know about Phillips. These are weaknesses that he's had for a while and it's the reason why we we played him in our system was for his defensive solidity um and that's looked a little bit sketchy recently i think it was a, a bit better yesterday but again he was playing in a maybe in a bit more of a familiar role um yesterday it felt like he was getting to the ball a bit more so yeah i mean it's likely that we won't see phillips playing for us again so it will be interesting to see how he fits into a into a different system um but yeah, I, I I didn't think he was I didn't think he was as good as everyone was saying yesterday. But I didn't think he was as bad as some people were saying as well. Right, shall we move on? So enough of our questions. Time for some listener questions. So um, we had yeah a few questions here. So first up from friend of the podcast Jackie Buckets, who says, "Was this the best Jesse Marsh performance, or were Brentford just on the beach for the majority of it?" Uh, who wants to go with this one? In terms of our best performance under Marsh, I would probably have said Norwich. Um, I think that's probably when we looked the most complete. I know it's Norwich, like it's the worst team in the league, but I felt that was when we sort of looked the best against a team that was actually sort of playing under the same pressure. And it's like, because I think Brent, the situation Brentford found themselves in yesterday kind of helped us a lot. Um, in terms of, we just talked about a performance under Jesse Marsh. In terms of sort of the best performance of what I think Jesse Marsh wants to do I actually think the, the first half of Leicester is still the one I'd go back to where we looked like we were doing the stuff that he wanted and for some reason we then completely went away with it and, and never really went back to it um, Brentford is probably the, it's probably the second up one but I think um, the, the state of not just the game but like the table kind of um, meant that I'm going to put a few caveats on that and say it's probably not the best one What about yourself Josh? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I would probably have said that Leicester was the best performance, funnily enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did think there was some, like Norwich when we had Bamford on the pitch um, as well. Um, and But I felt that this was a good performance considering the, the state of the situation. Uh, so I, I'm happy with the way that we played as I've already addressed that. Um, I do think that, I don't think that Brentford were on the beach, sorry. Um, because, I mean, look how much... Like, Canos literally, he's such a mug, <laughs> got himself a yellow card in a game that didn't matter to Brentford for taking his shirt off. So I have to conclude the only reason he's taken his shirt off to celebrate is because he thinks he's relegating Leeds. Like, they cared. They wanted us to go down. It's revenge for that pie that he got in the face at Ellen Road as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What a knob. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to make a distinction, as you've done, Josh, between like it being a good performance under the circumstances and what we needed and it being a good performance. Because I don't particularly think we were great yesterday. Uh, just looking at the shot map on Infogol, like we generated essentially a, a penalty, which is legit, but then pretty much everything else was a shot from either outside the box or on the edge of the box. We really didn't create much at all. And I think perhaps people are slightly uh, over exaggerating the performance on the basis of the fact that the result worked for us um again that doesn't really matter too much but um you know like a big chunk of our xg comes from from uh, from a penalty which as you've said Josh we we had to work to get that but we it's very much a moment situation again it's like we we've, we've had the moments and they've worked out well the rodrigo chance was a, was a good one and then the i mean we can't count the gelhart one because it's offside um, but that showed like we were very, like that's how close we were to creating like the best chance. Um, but yeah, obviously it doesn't count. You don't get to, you don't get to count that <laughs> yeah. in your XG. No, like. of course. Um, but, and at the other end, I think you know again situations where actually you kind of thinking we are absolutely wide open for attack here, and it's, there's almost a weird phenomenon at the moment where we it's almost like we give away such good opportunities to the opposition in transition that they just can't deal with it and they always seem to make the wrong decision because there's so many options available to them um so there's the the Ivan Tony one where he, all he had to do literally was play in Wissa pretty much and he was through on goal and he instead decided to just hold on to the ball and then there's a few chances where there's players taking shots when they had two or three players on either side 
better than they could play the ball through. And I think next season, these sorts of things might come back to bite us on the arse. I think that the, what we saw with um, Bielsa in the second season was that teams had the summer to have a think about how to undo the system a little bit. And I think that that teams will recognise the the ways that that, um, that leads are going to be open under Marsh over the summer. And I think we'll see teams trying to move the ball quickly and laterally um, a lot more and and that could cause us problems but yeah I, I think again like I'm, I'm with Josh it was a, it was a good performance for the day I was expecting not as bright a performance as we as we had but uh, I still don't think it was like a particularly great performance I think that, that it, it just everything sort of went our way and, and it was fine right question two um, Udav says how bad uh, of an impression does it leave on Ailing and Dallas that Cock was our best right back this season uh, I think that's probably a little bit tongue in cheek of a question but um, yeah Josh I'll give you this one to you thoughts on on Cock at right back is it again another case of the result sort of leading people to say things that they might not really mean I think it it kind of just reminds me of us we've had a few I don't know how often we've talked about it on the pod but we certainly have had conversations about this in our in our Discord and all that um, about how um, the Marsh right uh, the Marsh fullback roles don't require the same uh, sort of marauding fullback. Um, and so Cock almost like suited the profile the best because he was able to be physical enough to stop um, breaks higher up the pitch a little bit more. Um, I, I found him a bit frustrating yesterday in terms of the amount of times possession would kind of come to him and he would sort of fumble it because ultimately he's a centre-back playing a bit higher up the pitch than he really should be. Um, but yeah, he he was solid. And I don't remember there being times where I was thinking he's getting burned in 1v1 situations. And as we've said quite a few times, the main thing you want is someone that won't uh, get beaten in, in 1v1 situations too often. However, that leads me to something that I was asked about last week, which was, should we now sign Aaron Wambasaka? And may I just please say, <laughs> hell no. We must not pay Man United a ton of money for any more players who haven't played well there. Just give them Dan James back. And if we get Wambasaka, fine. If we don't, just that's fine. Just let them keep no, Dan James. I, no, <laughs> no. We must not... Get Wambasaka. <laughs> Do not say that. Yeah, Tom, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's the kind of what Josh said about a fullback in a Marsh system not needing to do the attacking stuff as much uh, helps Cock look better than um, perhaps Ailing and Dallas did at the start of uh, in the, under Bielsa this year. Um, Ailing's definitely not had his best season, but I would still think he is our best choice in that role. But I think in the summer we do need to bring another right back in. Um, I've never really, I've not really been sold on Dallas as a right back, apart from that run of games he had um, at the start of I think it was Bielsa's second season. He had that run at right back where he just was amazing, and then he got injured or Aylin came back in, and he just he's never really seemed to got to grips with playing well there since. I don't think um, I've always preferred him at left back if he has to play at full back. Um, but yeah. Cox Cox done fine in those last two games, but I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't want him there long term. Um, I think I definitely want to bring someone else in. Yeah. Okay. And a final couple of questions about the topic that you actually touched on before, Tom. Um, so Luke Williams says Williamson says, do you see Marsh scrapping the, the narrowness of his system next season? It seemed like the attack was much better versus Brentford when we were out wider. Uh, Zach Palmer says, do you think this run will have made Marsh more likely to stick with width, or will he revert back to the four triple two and pr- prioritise getting in players who can play in the wide ten role? So Josh, what do you make of that? I think we need to buy players uh, now who are capable of of playing wide where we need width, but also they are good enough in tight areas that they can play in the half spaces um, as as they are supposed to in in the four triple two. And I have to say that um, Harrison has massively impressed me uh, in that regard. I never thought he would be able to do that. I thought he was uh, like hug the touch line left winger. Uh, and I mean, again, I keep talking about this goal that got chalked off, but what he did in the uh, in the build up to that goal was excellent. The way he turned, received the ball, kept it tight to him, little few steps to carry it, and then dink it through to Joffy. That that's that would have been an absolutely superb assist, and that I think that would have summed up the way that he has transitioned into playing that 
that role and I'm really pleased for for Jack because I, I didn't see it coming yeah I think the the problem I have with with this sort of assumption that you can just shift between playing the way that you've played your whole life as a as a coach to to playing another <laughs> system is that it just sort of assumes that all you need to do is just tell people to play further out wide and I, I don't think people realize that it not only is it not only is it that you would have to coach the players to play in a different way you also would have to coach the players to play completely differently in possession than the way that you want them to play and the problem that the problem we're going to have with Jesse Marsh is that he's not going to be coaching the team well in in possession situations when it when in terms of being able to possess the ball and control possession um, and that's one of the things that we've seen in his time with us so far is that okay well there's going to be situations where we can go goals up but then the situ- the problem is is that once you score a goal and you're playing in, in in a very direct way and you're playing in a counter-pressing way, is that you you have to keep playing that way. And it keeps the games really transitional at a point where you actually don't want the games to be transitional. Um, and so, yeah, the issue for me is that I mean, yesterday we we had we were trying to we were trying to defend with with five men and and four and and five players in front of them, um, and it, it, we were look, we were making Brentford look more dangerous than than we were, and they were down to. 10 and then nine players respectively and the, the issue there I think is that is not that we're not good at defending it's that we're not good at possessing and that's that's going to be the issue when you're wanting to play in wide areas if we're going to shift to a, a, a game style where we are going to be trying to hold on to the ball and build in wide areas then we're going to have to develop some kind of possession play that we at the moment don't have and t- to be fair Bielsa was the king of that but we weren't able to do that this season as well so we didn't even have the personnel for that so uh, for me I I think that it's not a question of just being like oh well let's just try and keep the good bits of Bielsa and and then the good bits of Marsh it doesn't work like that they are they are at odds in terms of philosophically with 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 each other so yeah it's going to be it's going to have to be a all in with the narrowness and if it doesn't work it doesn't work Um, we're not going to be able to sort of tweak after the fact but Tom, do you have any thoughts on this to, to conclude? No, I've kind of I kind of mentioned that in my answer earlier, but it's definitely um, what you say is like because because they leader decided to go with Marsh as Bielsa's replacement. Um, it's kind of it's no, never going to work because the in possession stuff is just at odds with each other, um, and it kind of makes it a bit more questionable that with the decision to go with that uh, because you would have fit, thought it would be easier to keep some well, some elements of the possession stuff and actually change the out of possession stuff and Leeds have decided to n- not really do that. Um so yeah, I just I think we we'll have to go with the narrowness because we can't teach the we won't sort of commit to being a, a possession heavy team or a team um that can sort of break a team down. Um and that's why I just I can't see it being a solution for Marsh long term. We don't have any Statric Bamford stuff because the FB ref only dropped just before we went live. So um, we'll leave that one. But let's maybe just uh, end with some conversation about the summer, what we expect to see ahead. So um, we've already seen some moves in the window. So Brendan Aronson, as soon as the final whistle went, Tom Bogarts was 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 tweeting his shtick. So looks like Aronson's going to be coming through the door. There's been links to players like Tyler Adams as well. So... Um, in terms of the influx of players, Josh, what are you expecting to see this summer? Is there going to be a lot of early news in terms of uh, some of the players that we expect to leave uh, and then some of the players we expect to come in? I hope so, because <laughs> there's a lot to be done. Um, so we don't want to be we don't want to be stringing this out, especially we're going on a preseason tour, which just I understand why teams do preseason tours now, especially Premier League teams. But goodness me, like it doesn't. If you haven't got your deals done, they're not going to be there for that. And that's important time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I hope it's done nice and early. Aronson, we basically know already, like, he will fit into the tactics. That's absolutely fine. Um, Adams as well, like he would. And I, like I've said, Aronson, I think, will fit in other, um, in another shape as well, as well, another philosophy if needs be. Um, Adams, I think, is a solid midfield player. Um, I don't know if that will actually happen or not, but um, I think, to be honest, I would actually be surprised if that one happened. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping for another attacking midfielder. I'm hoping for a striker. I'm hoping for a right back and a left back. 
as well as all those other players that we've already talked about. You could even argue for two midfielders. Um, so there's a lot to do. Uh, and I think we'll see players like Roberts, Shackleton, maybe one of the centre-backs. I would choose Llorente. Um, yeah, I think some of those players will, will go. Um, and yeah, it, the squad should look quite a lot different uh, before next season. And I'm I'm hoping that what Radrazani said in, in his um, statement at the end of the season uh, is something we can hang on to, which is him saying, like, we recognise this is not success, uh, we haven't been good, and we have a lot of work to do. I hope that that means we have a lot of work to do in strengthening this squad. In terms of all of the links to sort of, I say, previous players, obviously... Obviously, um, Brendan Aronson hasn't played under Jesse Marsh, but he's played in that Red Red Bull system. He played under him for six months. Okay, so he he did actually cross over them. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to see a lot of links to players like that um, who are uh, pre Jesse Marsh um, have have experience of Jesse Marsh before. Do you think that we're going to see a lot of players brought in who've played in that system? Um, because I guess the big question is whether or not Jesse Marsh can instill that system and whether or not the easiest way for, for him to do that is to just bring in players who've played the system before rather than having to uh, start, you know, developing. Yeah, I, I I think that we probably will see a lot of links to those kinds of players, for sure. Um, I'm hoping that that's, they're not the only players that we're going to sign because you don't want to sort of overdo it on that style in case it doesn't work out and you change the manager and then you're you find yourself a bit boxed in um but equally pl- players that really know how to do this effectively make it um more likely that it works out so i think it's a bit of i would like to have a couple more of those players but i wouldn't want all of our signings to be red bull ball signings like i'd like our signings to be good footballers please um and that's why i'll constantly come back to to lang because i really want someone that's like if we need a player who will like take responsibility with the ball like i'm particularly thinking we're gonna most likely lose rafinha almost certainly you need someone who they're gonna demand the ball and they're gonna make stuff happen and they're gonna be brave in possession and it's not gonna just be sort of stodgy and horrible but they can produce something I realise, Tom, that we started this podcast with you saying that you don't care about the transfer window and then we've just ended this podcast by talking about the transfer window. So apologies apologies for that. You can just pretend that none of this is happening. It's fine. It's like I'm still kind of attached to this season. Give me, give me a week or two and I just I won't even know what a transfer window is. You, you have the, um, the attitude to the transfer window that Michael McIntyre talks about having with pregnancy rather than getting pregnancy tests, just wait and see if you actually have a baby. <laughs> That's sort of going to be the way that you're going to approach this one, right? You'll just wait until the end of the summer and see if we have a squad. Yeah, I'll look at August and go. Actually, that's that's all right. That or I'll go. Oh, that's not that's not very good. <laughs> um, I think I I actually normally completely ignore pre-season as well. Um, I just quite like having a clean break. But it's because of what Josh said earlier about the sort of the telling signs that were there last year that I I kind of missed because I didn't pay as much attention. That I will actually uh, make a, an effort to sort of pay a lot of attention to the matches this year. But I find I find sort of the um looking at all the players we're linked with quite exhausting, um, especially when they don't come through. Um, I'm just kind of hopeful that without Bielsa, the author can kind of show it if he is as good as people kind of say he is. Um, he's one that I'd want to give the benefit of the doubt to. And if he can get his business done early without sort of Bielsa focusing on one player, Orta can say, I just want this player in. Um, it might just make that transition to Marsh a bit easier. Well, in terms of what's happening for... All starts that we from now on. We are going to have a break for a week. Uh, I'm going on holiday. We're not going to think about Leeds other than to enjoy the fact that we're still in the Premier League. But we'll be back in about a week's time with some review material. We'll do a few podcasts uh, and and we'll think about what we're going to do over the course of the summer. Uh, but until then, have a great week, everyone. Um, and enjoy the feeling that... that um, we are staying up, which didn't seem that certain for a lot of points during the season. Uh, but we will be obviously back next year to, to cover Leeds in the Premier League again. And it's been a great pleasure to have everyone uh, tuning in. Thank you for tuning in all season. That brings us to the end of the podcast. All that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Josh. Thanks, mate. We made it. We made it. Uh, thank you, Tom. 
Thank you very much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in for another season. Bye! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.